Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Uh, Hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Josh, and I am on staff with Chi Alpha, and I am excited uh, to be able to share the message with you tonight. It's good to see all of you here at at City Church. It was great to worship in this room with you, uh, worshiping along to the the, the powerful uh, worship that the Yahweh Night Ministries led us in. That was so incredible. I know you all enjoyed that in your watch parties as well. I want to give a big shout out to the Hub Watch Party. Miss you guys. Enjoyed spending the semester with you at the Hub. Uh, So, yeah, I'm excited to be here tonight. Uh, I want to start off by sharing a little more about me. So I have been on staff with UVA Chi Alpha for about 11 years now, I believe. That's right. Back uh, when I was an undergrad student, I I was a student at UVA. I was actually a computer engineering student, and I loved that experience. But what I loved even more was... um, my Chi Alpha experience as an undergraduate student. God changed my life uh, through Chi Alpha. He changed the trajectory of my life, and that is why I am here today sharing with you tonight. I also want to take a moment to introduce my family to you. Up on the screen uh, is my incredible family, my wonderful wife, Kathy, and my two kids, Carter and Aubrey. Uh, They're incredible. I love them so much, and I hope uh, each of you has the opportunity to meet them at some point during your time in Chi Alpha. Well, since this is the first time I've had the chance to speak to many of you, and it's over YouTube, I thought I would take a moment to break the ice and get us comfortable before we hop into the message. And I thought I would do that by sharing one of my most embarrassing stories. So here we go. Michelle's ready for it. So a few years ago, I was on a snowboarding trip. Some of my college friends, and just a little backstory, never been snowboarding before, in the first morning of the trip, I got up to the summit, put on all my gear, strapped on my snowboard, and I took off down the mountain, felt the wind flying through my hair, enjoyed the warm sun on my face for about 10 feet until I smacked on the ground, ate snow, and that was the story of the next two days. Over and over again, I took airborne adventures into the woods. I had so many yard sales, I could have bought one of those slopeside condos I stared at as I laid flat on my back again and again and again. By the end of the trip, I was bruised, I was beaten, I was sore, I was frustrated. The final afternoon came, and I was going down my final slope, and I ate it one final time. thought, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. I went into the weekend thinking it could be that hard, thinking I could figure it out on my own, but no, I could not. So what do I do? I take off my snowboard and I start walking down the rest of the mountain. I thought I couldn't be any more embarrassed or ashamed of myself in that moment. That was wrong. (laughs) Because moments after I started my walk of shame down the mountain... This eight-year-old punk kid dressed up like a North Face model skis up next to me, looks at me and says, get back on. (laughs) I was so ashamed. That was a horror. That is a true story. I didn't even make that up. For some reason, I thought I could take on the challenge, even though I was way in over my head. Why? Mostly because of my pride. 
my false sense of confidence that it couldn't be that hard. Things would have gone so differently if I had just taken stupid snowboarding lesson, but instead my tailbone and my sense of pride paid a high price. What about you? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you were in over your head? Where you were faced with a challenge that was way beyond your abilities? Maybe this semester you found yourself and your academics stuck on a problem set or a coding assignment or a paper that you didn't know how you were going to figure out on your own. It was over your head. Or maybe, again, some amens, maybe <laughs> you're sitting here tonight and you're looking at the end of the semester and you don't know how to make it. You're a little bit overwhelmed. You have that pile of asynchronous classes over there that you still need to get around to watching. You have all those true facts. You have all these assignments that you need to do, and you, you don't know how you're going to get it all done. You're in over your heads. Well, if you're like me, you've probably had this experience uh, in, in the realm of, of your faith and your faith life. We've been talking this semester about how we live different in light of the gospel, And maybe you found yourself falling short this semester, desiring to live differently, but uh, feeling like it's always just out of reach. For some of us, this has been in the the area of sexual purity. Maybe it's been in the areas of forgiveness or of our relationships, like Aaron spoke about last week. If we're honest, we've all faced moments where we've wondered if we have what it takes to live the kind of life that Jesus calls us to. Tonight, we're going to continue our series in the book of Ephesians, looking at how we live different in light of the gospel. What I love about this passage tonight is that Paul's going to speak directly to those of us who feel like we've ever struggled to live differently. What Paul's going to do is he's going to give us a spiritual lens to look through, and he's going to open our eyes to see what is really going on when we feel like we are in over our heads. So with that, open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. It's up on the screen as well. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our, blood, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul opens our passage tonight with this mini revelation that we face a spiritual enemy as we seek to live differently. Paul peels back the curtain to reveal that there is a force that we may be blind to that is actively at work trying to undo and prevent everything that Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to pursue. Paul's saying there's an enemy who is actively trying to rebuild the dividing wall of hostility, who's trying to bury the manifold wisdom of God, who's trying to sow discord among families, who's trying to cover the entire earth in his shroud of darkness. We're told that this enemy is powerful, that he's wicked, that he is a schemer, always trying to devise ways to steal, kill, and destroy. As I think about the schemes of the enemy and the different ways this plays out in our lives, there are two primary tactics that come to mind. The first is that the enemy is constantly seeking to confuse us, 
that the enemy is seeking to confuse us, that he knows if he can get a hold of our minds and replace the truth in our minds with a lie, that we will not live differently. One of the greatest lies I can think of is the lie that originated in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the enemy questioning God's goodness, questioning the goodness of God's ways. I'll read a part of that passage. In Genesis 3, we see the serpent approach the woman and say, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent says to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we see from the Garden of Eden all the way up to this present moment, the enemy is always calling into question the goodness of God and the goodness of his ways. He wants to confuse us to the point where we start to question God's intent and his character. And sound like this. I mean, do you really think God is good? I mean, look, what, look what's going on in the world right now. It's a mess. Look what's going on in your own life. Do you really think if God was good, he'd let that happen to you? Or it may sound like this. Sure sounds like God has a lot of rules for you to follow. I mean, do you really think he wants you to be happy? It seems like you could enjoy your life a whole lot more if you just decided to go about things your own way. The enemy is constantly barraging us, questioning the goodness of God and the goodness of his ways, and he does this through our fleeting doubts and through what we see on social media and what we hear from people around us to continually question God's character and his goodness. The second scheme that the enemy often uses is that he seeks to condemn us. He seeks to condemn us. He's constantly feeding us these little doubts to make us feel like we are not enough that we ought to be living in shame. Sound like this. I mean, I know God is forgiving and all, but have you seen what you've done recently? Have you thought about it? Do you really think you deserve forgiveness for that? Or it may sound like this. You know, I don't think you've really measured up to much in life. I mean, you keep always getting the short end of the stick. You keep messing up. Do you think God could do anything with your life? The enemy wants to condemn us so much and so often that we perpetually wear the raincoat of shame that Pete spoke about earlier this semester so that we never experience God's grace and mercy. So, as we think about spiritual warfare, as we think about the battle that we face every day, I want us to think about it in those terms. The enemy seeks to confuse and condemn us that he wants us trapped in confusion and condemnation because he knows that if we break free and understand what we're about to read next, that we will walk in immeasurable power. So in light of this revelation that we're in a spiritual battle, what's Paul's encouragement? Let's look back at verse 10. Paul says, again, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul actually repeats this encouragement to stand four times in the passage. I believe that's because Paul's greatest desire for the people he was writing to was stability. 
that we'd be an unmovable, unshakable people whose identities were not on the line and who could not be confused or condemned by the enemy. So what does it look like for us to stand? Well, it starts by knowing who we are. In my own power, in Josh's power, I am not enough to stand against the enemy's schemes. Ricky told you in his testimony that he was not strong enough in his own power to stand against the enemy's schemes. All of us in our own power, we are not strong enough to stand against our enemy. Fortunately, as we look in the text, that's not how we're told to stand. That we don't have to stand in our own might and our own power. We don't have to be enough because Jesus is enough. Paul says that we are supposed to stand in God's might and in his power. What a relief that is. What a weight that lifts off of us. What a burden that takes off of us. That once we finally confess that we can't stand against the enemy in our own power by trying harder, by being more self-righteous, or by exercising more willpower, we can start to understand what it means to live in God's strength. What Paul urges us to grasp is that it's only in God's might and in his power that confusion and condemnation of the enemy are powerless. That when we stand with God, we don't cower before the enemy. We don't buckle our knees. Our knees. No, we stand firm. We stand confident against the enemy when we realize that we are totally insufficient. Yet we stand with the resurrected king, strengthened by his power, clothed in his armor, our identities hidden in Christ. That's how we stand. Paul says that we not only stand in God's might and power, but God also equips us with his armor to stand firm. Let's look at a picture Paul gives us uh, in the passage of what it looks like to wear his armor. Let's keep reading in verse 13. It says in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may, be able, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness and place, with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So there's the picture of the armor. Let's look now at the schemes of the enemy and how we stand against them in God's armor. First, how do we stand against the confusion of the enemy? How do we hold firm when we are barraged with lies about who God is and how we should live? We do it first with the belt of truth. The belt is what holds everything together. The belt is what keeps us centered and steady. Without the truth, we can be easily deceived by the enemy. But as we are rooted in the truth of the, of the gospel, we can spot the lies of the enemy and shut them down. What is our source of truth? What is it? It's the scripture. It's God's word. Can we take a moment and give thanks that we don't go through life blind? That we have access to the truth. That God has revealed himself to us through his scripture and through his son. Because where would we be without the truth? 
That's why it is so important for us to saturate in the truth, to regularly fill our minds and our hearts with Scripture. So that when the enemy comes against us, questioning God's character, questioning who he is, we can come right back at him with God's word. We also stand against the enemy's confusion with the breastplate of righteousness. Not only does the enemy want to convince us that God isn't good, but he wants to convince us that God's ways are not good either. He's always, since the Garden of Eden, been trying to convince us to to eat the fruit, to do things our own way rather than God's way. When we are tempted to sin, we need that protection. Because the fact is, we don't live differently on our own merit. First Peter chapter 2 says, says the following. says that, that Jesus, that he, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So from this verse, we see that on one hand, we are made righteous because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That Jesus died for our sins. By that one act, he has healed us us of our sin. But then on the other hand, we're called to live for righteousness because of Jesus' love for us. So that we're both purified of our sin and empowered to live pure lives by the power of the cross. So how do we stand against confusion? We do it by putting on God's belt of truth and his breastplate of righteousness. And then next, look at the second scheme of the enemy. How do we stand against the condemnation of the enemy? Maybe you resonated with those words of condemnation I shared earlier. Maybe you even heard the raincoat message Earlier this semester, and the shame was gone for a while, but, but now it's back. And the fiery arrows of shame come at us. What do we do? Well, first, take up the shield of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Friends, when our confidence and assurance is rooted in Christ, condemnation cannot get a hold of us. Why? Because we proclaim whose we are. We can say, stop it, enemy. You're messing with the wrong person. My confidence is in God. Do you know my God? My God is almighty. My God is eternal. My God created the stars in the sky with a word from his mouth. My God calms the storms. My God raises the dead. And by the way, enemy, my God defeated you on the cross by his sacrificial love. Not only that, but he is no longer dead. He was raised on the third day. Friends, that is the God we put our hope in. That is whose we are. We can stand firm when we place our faith in him and we remember that we are his. The band would go ahead and start to make their way forward quietly. Second, when we face condemnation, what do we take on? We also put on the helmet of salvation. Romans 8 says this, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So not only do we remember whose we are by taking up the shield of faith, but as we put on the helmet of salvation, remember who we are in Christ. We say with confidence that I am no longer condemned, that I am dearly loved, that I am valuable, that I am not defined by my failure, that I am forgiven, that I am marked and sealed by the Spirit, that I am an inheritor in God's kingdom, and that I am a son or a daughter of the King. The enemy doesn't get the ultimate say in who you are. He doesn't get to define you because Jesus claimed that right when he went to the cross. He defined your identity. He defined your worth. He defined your value and he gave up his life for you so that you could have a new life. So when we remember who we are, as we put on the helmet of salvation, and as we remember whose we are, as we take up the shield of faith, we can stand firm against condemnation. So tonight, I'm going to close with a simple question. The question is this. What piece of the armor do you need tonight? Do you go ahead and stand with me. What piece of the armor do you need tonight? I'm sure many of us standing here tonight would say that we've been missing something. That some of us have been standing in our own strength, trying to fight the battle on our own, and we've gotten a few bruises. And it's been exhausting. We don't know if we can keep on doing it. The good news tonight is that we don't have to. We don't have to do it on our own. Tonight, God wants to exchange his strength for yours. That he wants to come alongside you and equip you and give you the gift of his armor so that you can stand in victory. For some of us tonight, the battle has been to simply believe that God is who he says he is. That he is good. And that his ways are good. The enemy has been seeking to confuse you this semester and that he has used the circumstances of your life or the traps that he has sucked you into to convince you that God isn't really good. That he's not for you. He's against you. That's you. And God is here for you tonight. Jesus is offering you the belt of truth. He's saying, come and take it. He wants to remind you that that he is true and that he is good and that he wants to meet you where you're at in his word and refill your heart and your mind with his gospel message. And he wants to remind you that following him is so worth it. That you don't do it by your own righteousness, but as you put on the breastplate of righteousness he made possible through the cross, you can live differently. And then for others of us, the battle we've been fighting is condemnation. That the enemy has gotten his hands on our identity and shame has a grip on you. Tonight, God wants to redirect your attention from your failures, from your wounds, from your brokenness. Redirect your eyes to the cross. Jesus is here in this moment saying, you want to know who you are? You want to know your worth? You want to know what I think of you? Look to the cross. That's how much you're loved. That's how valuable you are. I did that for you. Jesus is 
You're saying, here's the, here's the shield. You can put your faith in me. It is safe to trust me. I can handle whatever has bound you in shame. Here's the helmet. It's the helmet of salvation. I don't want you to ever forget how much this salvation cost, that it was worth everything that I had to pay for it. As we move into worship, I just want to remind us all that the battle is already won. Do you believe it? The battle is already won. Whatever you face, whatever schemes the enemy throws at you, it's the last ditch effort before his ultimate defeat when Christ returns. That we stand firm, we walk in victory because Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave when he went to the cross. So tonight, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, I want us to bring whatever we are carrying before him tonight because it is not something that we have been meant to be carrying on our own. That Jesus wants to take the, the confusion of the enemy, the condemnation, the lies, the shame, and take it to the cross. That he can lift your burdens, that he can help you walk in victory, that he can help you walk a different kind of life. And his power, and his strength, and his might, as he gives you his armor. The thing is, we don't go off somewhere and, and, and figure out how to, how to make the armor for ourselves, how to cobble it up or go forge it somewhere. That, that No, this is God's armor. This is how he has won the battle. This is what he gives you as you face whatever challenges are ahead of you. So tonight, let's celebrate this God who has won the ultimate victory and who empowers us to live in that victory today. Let's pray and go into worship. Jesus, tonight we, we do confess that we are not enough, that we have never been enough, that we'll never be enough. Now that's okay. That as we come to you in weakness, as we come to you feeling overwhelmed at times by the fiery arrows of the, of the evil one, that you offer us your shield, that you put your helmet of salvation on our heads, that you Give us everything that we could possibly need to face the battle. And that you've made all this possible because of what you did on the cross, because of your love for us, because of how you have redeemed us from the powers of darkness so that we can live a new life. So Jesus, I pray that in this moment you come and speak to each one of us, Lord, whether it's condemnation or confusion, Lord, whatever we are facing this moment right now, if we've just tried to walk too far for too long on our own, Lord, that you'd come and meet us in that. And you gift us with your presence. And you give us everything that we need to walk in victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, Chi Alpha. Well, may we go out this week, not in our own strength, but in God's mighty strength clothed with his divine armor, knowing that we go forth in the victory that Jesus has already accomplished for us on the cross. Amen. Now for the benediction. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. May he make his face shine upon you. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.